about, we are about to kick off a new series called Welcome to the Table. And uh, I've been looking forward to this series for about a year and a half. Um, many of the greatest moments in life happen around a table. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or you've ever considered it, but, but we do so many big things around the tel- table. We celebrate many holidays at the table. We associate one with ham and one with turkey and, and different things that we have for different holidays. We celebrate many birthdays around the table with somebody blowing out candles or perhaps trick candles or getting a cake smashed in their face or, or whatever that might be. We, we do all these big events around a table. So many of life's greatest moments happen around the table. Many a young person has gone off to college or moved away from home, and one of the first things they realize, or, or maybe it takes them a little while to realize it, is how much they miss mama's cooking. Uh, and they kindly get to come home, and they realize, man, mom's cooking is so great. Uh, great things happen many times around the table. You see, I believe that the table is a powerful place. There are many things that we associate with the table. The, the first and probably most obvious is food, right? Uh, food is a powerful association. No matter your eating habits or dietary standards, no matter your cultural background or generation, no matter your ethnicity or where you come from or what part of the country, everybody loves food, right? The food you love might be different than the food I love, but we all love food. Um, I had somebody tell me one time that food is their love language, uh, and I laughed, uh, and yeah, Megan raised her hand. She remembers. She's the one who told me that. Uh, I laughed when she said that, but the more that I thought about it, I think food is everybody's love language. Uh, th- there is nobody who does not have a specific food or treat or something that, that if you show up with that thing out of the blue and bless them with it, they're not going to be thrilled. Uh, food, in, in many ways, is, is the universal Love language. You, you can even see right here in our graphic for the series. We have a table and we have food on the table. Why? Because the most obvious and, and the biggest association we make between the table is food. Um, there's another powerful association with the table that may not be quite as universal, but I believe is just as powerful. And that's family. Uh, there's something that many of us have experienced when we come to the table and we're coming to the table as a family, with family, that, that there's something about the table that draws family back together and perhaps your family is now scattered and you're older and you live far away, but, but whenever you inevitably come back together, whether that's every few months or every few years, at some point the family's going to gather around a table and there's comfort when we gather around the table the table brings us back to to moments earlier in life to memories that we made growing up there's there's stability and structure around the table and and you might think that that's an old school mentality but I was surprised when I looked up the statistics this week of how many people still gather for dinner American families on a regular basis A, a recent Gallup survey showed this that the American, average American family with children under the age of 18 is going to have dinner together at home 5.1 nights a week. The average is over five nights a week for a family with kids under 18 years old. A lot of times we think maybe that's something from the past or our lives are so fast-paced and everybody has these jobs in different situations. But even with everything that's going on in modern society, the average family still gathers for dinner Five nights a week, actually five 
6.1. And here's what surprised me the most. That's not just the older generation propping up the statistics. Here's what they found. Parents 35 and older reported eating dinner together at home 5.0 times per week. Parents 34 and younger reported the family eating dinner together 5.3 times per week. So there's a younger generation that even values the family having dinner together even more than the older generation does. That the statistics are actually moving up. That with everything going on in single-parent homes and all the reasons why we can sit here and say there's probably not a lot of people eating dinner together, there's something that draws us to the table. There's something that draws us to gather, and I don't think it's a coincidence. So for many of us, young and old, the table is not just a place of food, but it's also a place of family. There's something kind of connected to that that I think is important for us to realize as well, though. The table isn't just about food and family. The table is relational. We might not realize it, but but many of our most powerful social interactions even set aside from family, often happen around the table. They're based on eating together. When we want to get to know somebody together, we might say to our spouse, man, we should have them over for dinner, right? Like, not, hey, we need to get to know them, so let's go hang out. We should have them over for dinner. Why? Because the, our social construct is often based around food. Now, that might explain why we're fat, uh, and that's a whole other category and discussion, but there's something that draws us to the table, right? Uh, when you want to do a business deal, you might not just say, hey, let's get together. You might say, hey, let's do lunch. And we're going to sit down and do business. We do so many things and structure so many things around the table. Tonight, we're doing a fall festival, big annual event. We're giving kids a bunch of candy, but we don't stop at candy. We can do all the carnival games and the bonfire and the hayride and all the other stuff that we do. But if you took out the chili and the wings and the hot dogs we're going to grill, something would be missing. Right? If, if we didn't have this time for us just to sit down and eat together, it wouldn't be the same community events. It wouldn't be the same opportunity to connect that it is. There's something about the power of the table, even when we're not actually sitting in front of a table, even when we're sitting on long chairs spraying bug spray on ourselves. Uh, but relationship happens at the table. This happens and it starts at an early age. Kids discover this very quickly. The lunchtime at school, the biggest question is not, what are we having for lunch today? The biggest question is, who am I sitting with at lunch? Now, once you get that that community discovered and you know your place, you know your table, you know where you're going to be, now the question becomes, what are we going to eat? But before you get to the question of what am I going to have for lunch, the biggest question that, that middle schoolers and high schoolers, and I even experienced this in college, the biggest question is, who am I going to sit with? Who, who are my people? What's my tribe? What relationships am I going to have around the table? Maybe you're not convinced that the table is really that powerful. If I haven't done a good job convincing you. Uh, I did bring a video that hopefully will help drive this point home. Um, I brought this video. Uh, it, it's something that, that I love. It's, it's the story. It's actually from a documentary about two men that I grew up admiring, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Uh, and Larry and Magic were, were rivals, just to set this up a little bit, give you a little context. If you're not into pro basketball or maybe you're really young and those are like names that sound like people of 100 years ago, uh, let, let me just tell you a little bit about Larry and Magic. Uh, Larry and Magic were, were fierce rivals. The rivalry started in 1979, the year before I was born. They met in, in the college basketball championship game. 
Uh, Magic played for Michigan State University, this large school, this very good basketball school, still a good basketball school to this day. Larry played for Indiana State University, this school that literally nobody has ever heard of except that Larry Bird went there. Um, so so there's these two contrasting levels, this massive school against this little bitty school. And so they meet in this championship game, and then they both go into the NBA, and, and they go to opposite corners of the country. Larry goes to Boston in the northeast, and Magic goes to, to L.A. in the southwest. And they both go to, to marquee franchises. And, of course, what happens? They end up meeting in the NBA finals. So they meet in 1984, and, and Larry's Celtics beat Magic's Lakers. And they meet again in 1985, and this time Magic's Lakers get revenge, and they beat Larry's Celtics. And so there's this massive rivalry that's been built up. And so the, this story is going to pick up uh, with, with actually Magic. He's going to be get talking about an event in the summer of 1985, right after their second time meeting in the NBA Finals, their third time meeting with the championship on the line. Um, and he's going to tell you just a little bit about what was going on. Check this out. You're crazy. <laughs> I said, you're crazy. I'm not shooting no commercial with Larry. So I said, okay, what, we're going to shoot in L.A.? I would never went to L.A. to film it. Well, where are we going to shoot it? If you want to shoot a commercial, come to my house. I was like, oh, no. One stoplight. And I thought Lansing was small. I think the plan was, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm trying to get up out of here. My plan was that. Even after Converse had convinced Magic and Bird to film a sneaker ad together in the summer of 85, a question remained. How would the two hated rivals on the court get along off of it? I don't know how he's going to react. I don't know how I'm going to react. We even shake hands, so how are we going to do a commercial together? The ad was to be filmed at the home Bird had built for his mom. It featured a full-length basketball court, the day's first location. So they say, okay, you're playing one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm looking at Larry, and he's looking at me like, is this real? Are we playing, playing? Because, you know, this is, this is magic in Bird. I could just hear Larry, you know, starting in on, well, you bring it to the basket, I'm going to send it 30 rows up. So the guy was like, no, no, not like that. A fun game. We were both like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like you can see this relief coming over both of our faces. That brief detente led to the next stage, dialogue. We sat down next to each other. How was your summer? Oh, it's going good. How was yours? It's going great. I said, man, it's a nice spread you got. He's asked me, is this where you play? I said, yeah, I play here if it's not windy. If it's raining or windy, I go to the gym. But this is where I do all my work. I see that tractor. You work on the, on the tractor? He said, man, I work on this tractor every day. Larry Bird work on the tractor? He said, yeah. It's just them two walking and talking. And every once in a while, they'd stop, and one of them would say something, and then they'd start laughing. Then they said, OK, break. It's lunch break time. I was going to my trailer. He said, no. My mother has prepared lunch for us up at the house. We went up to the house, and we sat down there, and we talked. And my mom, my brothers, thought the world of him. His mother was so nice, making sure I had enough to eat. I just saw my mother. It was crazy. He charmed her. He could sit. 
but that's magic. He makes everybody feel welcome and warm, and he's a con man. <laughs> and while magic charmed Georgia Bird, it was someone else who intrigued her son. He met Irvin at lunch. Irvin is a good dude. I like Irvin a lot better than Magic. I was just so happy to finally be Irvin with him because Magic was like, I don't know if I want to get to know this guy. But Irvin got a chance to talk about family, how he grew up. We just, we just became two relaxed guys just talking. That day was great. It was a great day, beautiful day. All right. So, so if you know anything about Magic and Larry, you can bring the lights back up for us if you don't mind. Th- then you know that these two men went on to become awesome friends. Like they are super close friends even to this day. Um, and, and it it all happens obviously based on this basketball court and based on this commercial. But so much of it can be traced back to that table. What the, maybe you caught what, what Johnson said? He said that day they got to meet Irvin. See, Magic was his persona. Magic was his alter ego. It was his nickname. He said, I, I took off the mask, and they could actually meet me. They could actually see who I really was. Be- because not only do we associate food and, and, and family and relationship and all this with the table, but there's, there's a power at the table. And it's where I want us to go today. It's actually the title of my message, that at the table, we are one. At the table, we are one. You see, whether you love NBA basketball or you hate it or whether you're old and you remember these guys or you're young and you don't, it doesn't matter. Their story is compelling because it's a story in contrast. You have this superstar African-American, Magic Johnson, who's known for his style, his persona, his charisma, his swag. You have this other stu- superstar, Larry Bird, who, who grew up in this little bitty town, and, and his nickname isn't Magic. His nickname is the Hick from French Lick, right? You've got these two guys who are from total opposite places, from, from total opposite backgrounds, and, and known for totally opposite things, and yet they sit down at a table, and what happens? They realize there's a level playing field. Man, you love family? I love family. You got an awesome mom. I got an awesome mom. All of a sudden, the table balances everything out. The table allows them to really meet and discover each other. And I don't think that's an accident. These two men who who came from totally different worlds realized that they had a lot more in common than they thought when they met at the table. The table is the great equalizer, the great balancer of people. For this series, I have two main objectives for you, and it's not to talk basketball as much as I love basketball. The, the first of my objectives is this. Number one, I want to inspire God's people. That, that's hopefully you. That's us to understand and take advantage of the power of the table. My, my biggest application that I want is for us to start being intentional about eating with people, about building relationships with people over the table. I think there's something that happens at the table. So, so number one, I, I want you to be intentional about taking advantage of the power of the table. There was a book that was written a, a number of years ago, and it, it says, never eat lunch alone. And it's the power of, of intentionally, man, not just sitting at your desk or your cubicle and scarfing something down. But you know what? I'm going to make 15 minutes, and I'm going to go sit with this person and talk with them while I eat and, and take advantage of this time. Uh, the, the, there's so much relationship. There's so much benefit, so much enriching that we can have when we come around 
the table. I think for God's people, this is especially powerful. So, so here's my challenge for you. I've got a challenge today. I'll have a totally different challenge next week based on our second objective. But there's a challenge today. I, I want you as, as an individual or you as a family, if you come here with your family, to make one intentional connection over a meal with somebody from City Church in the month of November. So, so what do I mean by that? That could be Sunday after lunch, church, we go to lunch together. That could be having somebody over during the week. That could be, hey, why don't we go meet at Mi Pueblo or Wendy's or, or whatever works for your budget. But, but initiating a chance to sit down at the table, and I don't want it to be with somebody that you're already doing this. So if you got your crew that, man, we go out on Sundays after church, that doesn't count, right? You've already got that relationship. You've already got that. I'm talking who's the magic to your Larry? Who's the Larry to your magic? Who's somebody that, that you don't know, that you don't have a good in-depth relationship with, that, that you haven't had that opportunity yet? Maybe it's somebody you've wanted to meet. Maybe God's going to lay somebody on your heart that, that you barely even know. Or maybe it's somebody who's rubbed you the wrong way. Larry and Magic had rubbed each other the wrong way a number of times, and they finally sat down at the table, and they realized, you know what, there's something here. So, so I want everybody in City Church, man, if, you, if you're a member here, uh, this is as close to a requirement as I can make it. Um, sometime in the month of November, and you start thinking about it, start talking about it this week, what are we going to do? We're going to initiate one. So, so when I say initiate, that means if somebody invites you, that doesn't count as yours, right? You, you get to take advantage of that, but you're going to initiate one. In other words, you're not just going to sit back and hope somebody picks you or sit back and hope nobody picks you, and then you can sneak through the cracks. You're going to initiate a meal with somebody from our church family. Um, man, and, and if you're not a part of our church family, we invite you to be a part of this. If you want to initiate with somebody outside the family, we're all about outreach. We do outreach stuff all the time. We recently did something where we called Matthew Parties where we had our people invite a whole bunch of non-Christians over. Um, th- this, is, this is something where we're doing to, to build our connections. Uh, we need to be the body of Christ. We need to be united. We're going to be far more powerful in reaching others as we come together. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to initiate one intentional, one. How many meals are you going to eat in November? November is 30 days long, so that's 90 meals, right? Plus, you know it's Thanksgiving, so you're going to have like the extra four meals uh, in there somewhere that you squeeze in. So you got like 94 meals to pick from. I'm asking you just to do one. I think we can all do one. We, we, we can be intentional about that. Um, some relationship, some connection that's not already happening. So, so that's our, our first initiative, our first challenge. Um, my second goal for our series is this. First, I want to inspire God's people to understand and take advantage of the power of the table. Secondly, I want to inform God's people of the significance of the table that he's built into worship. Talking, of course, about communion. Uh, you probably noticed when you came in, we have communion tables set up down front. We're, we're going to be taking communion together every week this series uh, be, because I, I want to, to enlighten and, and educate. And maybe for some of us, man, this is something we've done our whole lives, and it maybe has lost its significance. Maybe it's lost its value or its power. Maybe, maybe you're new to the faith, and you've seen it done, and maybe you've even participated, but it's never really been explained or unpacked, and you don't really know why do we do this, and is this really Jesus' blood, and what are we doing, and this is weird. And we, we, we want to help you to understand what this thing's all about. There is power in the table that God has built into the worship of his son. Uh, the word communion actually means a close relationship with something or someone. 
And, and so we, as the body of Christ, we come together to take communion. What? Because we're having a close relationship, number one, with Jesus, right? There's this intimacy of celebrating what he's done for us. But, but that word community, if you split it up, right, it's, it's two words. It's community and union. It's the union of community. It's us coming together. Uh, and I think there's something powerful when God's people come together and take communion. Why? Because at the table, we are one. Jesus puts it this way. He says, when you are in Christ, or the, the, excuse me, Paul puts it this way. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There, he, he makes all these contrasts. There's not black and white. There's not rich and poor. There's not Michigan State and Indiana State. We're all one when we come to the table. Uh, it's, it's a powerful, powerful thing. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. So what I want to do for the next few moments is, is we're going to turn to Mark chapter 14. And in Mark chapter 14, we read one account, the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all give a very similar account of, of what happened at, at the initiation of communion at the Lord's Supper right before Jesus passed away. 1 Corinthians 11 gives us a different account. Um, but but we, we get some, some information here in Mark chapter 14 that I think is important. Um, it says, while they were eating. I love that it says while they were eating because, in other words, this, this was just part of life, right? And really that's what the table is. It's part of life. We all got to eat, right? Why, why is it so significant to us? Because if, if you don't, you're going to feel it. And, and so the, the, we share this thing that's part of life with the people who are most important to us, with the people who are most significant. So Jesus is sharing a meal with the guys who are closest to him, with the guys who mean the most. In fact, they don't realize it yet. He knows this is my last meal before I go to the cross. This is my last meal sitting down with you guys before everything changes, before you watch your rabbi, your teacher, your friends, your master murdered in front of your eyes, before you have this experience that you will never, ever be the same from, before this happens, just a bunch of guys got to eat together one last time. And so they sit down for this last meal. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, I, I love that Jesus still gave thanks. I love that he even felt, you know what, I'm going to thank my father for this bread. He's getting ready to go have nails put through his wrists and thorns put through his skull. And, and a lot of awful things are going to happen to him. And even in that moment, knowing what's about to face, he says, you know what, I'm going to thank my father that he provided this meal for me. So he's given thanks. Side note here, I think a lot of times when we pray before we eat, and the Bible doesn't command us to do that, so, so don't be that Christian that, like, you go eat with somebody and they don't pray before they eat, and you're like, mm-hmm, right? Like, I'm better than you. <laughs> you failed as a Christian. It doesn't command us to. I think it's a great habit to be in, um, but, but a lot of times, what do we say? We, a lot, especially in the South, like, we have this phrase, will so-and-so bless the food? I've used this phrase a million times. I'm not knocking anybody for saying this, right? But, but the biblical model actually isn't that we need to bless it. It's just that we need to give thanks, Right, like, like, man, just to remember, I can't bless it. There's nothing special about me. He can bless it, but, but I don't even need to do that. I'm just going to say, God, thank you for what you provided. So that's what that time when we pray before we eat needs to be about. Nothing connected to this message, but, but opportunity to say it. So it says, when he'd given thanks, he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body. Now, th there are places that are going to teach you that, once we pray over this in a few minutes and we actually take communion together, um, that it's actually going to become the body of Jesus, that we're actually eating his flesh. Uh, we don't believe that. Uh, we believe that it's bread. 
uh, that you're going to eat that, that is representative of his body. In fact, we even have a gluten-free option. So if you're in a, a gluten-free situation where, where you can't have that, there's some crackers on the side. Those are for you. If you can have gluten, have the bread, save the gluten-free for those who, who need it. Uh, but, but he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body. It's, this is a symbol of my body. This is a symbol of, of what's about to be broken for you because what's about to happen is his body's going to be broken. Jesus' body is, is about to be pierced. It's about to be shredded. In fact, one account says that he was beaten so badly you couldn't even recognize, not just that he was Jesus, you couldn't even recognize he was human. You couldn't even recognize him as a, as a person. That's how badly his body is about to be abused. And so he says, this is my body. Then he, then he took a cup, and again, he gave thanks. And that's something we don't do so much, right? Like, I can't remember the last time that I got something to drink, and I was like, God, thank you for this. <laughs> but that's the demonstration here. That's the example maybe that I can start to follow. Uh, he gave thanks for that, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Community cup. We will not do that. Uh, just for the record, don't be. I know we got some germaphobes in the house. We got some people that like they don't even like to shake hands because they're afraid of like germs. So we're not going to do the community cup for your sake. You have your own cup. Uh, says this is my blood of the covenant. There's a new covenant coming, a new agreement between God and man. He said, which is poured out for many. I looked up that word many in the Greek, and it's actually the Greek word poly. Uh, in AP biology, we study Greek roots or Latin roots and, and discover that poly means many. It goes in front of just about a ton of different stuff. And if you see the, the word poly at the beginning of something, it means there's many of that thing. And so Jesus says, my blood is getting ready to be poured out for many. I love that. I think sometimes that we, we personalize communion. I think it's important for it to be personal. Jesus died for you. And that's significant. And that's awesome. And that should blow me away. That's more than enough. But, but the beauty of it is Jesus didn't just die for one. He died for many. He, he, he died for us. And, and we get to take this together. We get to partake in this together. That is poured out for many, verse 25. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. It says then they, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and, and then they the rest of, of this night begins to take place. But they sang, they worshiped in connection to communion. They partook of the bread together. They partook of the juice together, the wine. And, and then they sang and they worshiped. And then they moved on. And so we're going to do all of those things. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to partake. But I want to turn your attention very quickly to verse 12. As this is all kind of being set up in Mark chapter 14. There's something about communion that many of us know, maybe some of us don't, maybe some of us have forgotten. But on verse 12, it says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb. So they weren't just getting together and eating, although they did that all the time. They were getting together and eating a very specific, very important meal. They were celebrating and remembering the Passover. Uh, we do a lot of stuff here at City Church to, to recognize and celebrate holidays. And I think it's cool because scripturally we see them recognizing and celebrating holidays all the time. I think there's, there's some power and significance in that. Um, but these Passover is extremely significant. If you're not familiar or if you don't remember, uh, go all the way back to the book of Exodus. Uh, in the book of Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, are in captivity. They're slaves in Egypt. Um, and God sends Moses, and we all know Moses. And Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Moses says no. And so 
God in, in demonstrating his power and basically telling Pharaoh, yes, you're the authority over Egypt, but there's a higher authority than you. Um, I'm going to demonstrate that. God sends ten plagues. And so these different plagues come. There's darkness and there's hail and there's frogs and there's flies and, and the river turns to blood, the water turns to blood, and all these different plagues come. And then the last plague comes, and it's the oldest son of every Egyptian. Their life is taken. Why? Because God hated the first Egyptian sons? No, because Pharaoh wouldn't listen. He was trying to get through to him. He had to send a message. Now, this week, uh, I started reading the Jesus Storybook Bible with my son Judah. My son's two years old. And uh, he got this as a birthday present. He just turned two. Uh, and uh, a friend of ours, actually in North Carolina, got it for him. It's awesome. Highly recommended. If you have kids, uh, I've never seen this before. I've never heard of it before, but I love it because what it does is it takes all these Bible stories that we always read to our kids anyway, right, or hopefully, um, and then it relates them back to Jesus. It, it ties all of this stuff back to Christ. It shows the symbolism in the story and what, what this represented about Christ. So I'm reading this with my son. And the, the significance of the Passover, because what's going to happen, right, is, is the Passover represents God told his people, the Israelites, to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, and, and brush it over the, the frame of your door. Put it over the door, and, and when the angel of death comes for the firstborn sons, when he sees the blood of the lamb on the door, he's going to pass over your house. Your son will be protected. Um, and, and so, obviously, it's, it's symbolic of all of us have the angel of death coming to visit. And only the blood of the lamb can cover us. Only the blood of the lamb can protect us. And Jesus is the lamb. And that's the foreshadowing that God's doing here. That's where the story ties together. But what jumped out at me Thursday night as I read this to my son for the first time is not just that Jesus died for me. The lamb came to stand in the place of my son. My oldest son. See, if, if that had been Egypt, he was the one who was going to pay the price. My son that I love so much, my son that, that means so much to me. And, and all of a sudden, this ritual, and, and we planned this series for a long, long time, and I've been looking forward to this series for a long, long time. And yet God chooses this week to give me this new revelation of the Passover, communion, the, the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It's not just for me. It's massively awesome that it's for me. It's so cool that it's for me. It's more than enough that it's for me. But he said, no, it's not just for you. It's for the people you love. It's for us. It's for Polly, right? It's for many. This blood is poured out for many. His blood is enough to cover us. And, and so when we celebrate it, many times, and I've even done this many times in leading communion, and I want to make this about you. Man, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus stood in your place. And I think that's awesome, and it's great, and we should get that. But today, I don't want to make it about you. Today, I want you to realize that Jesus died for you and the people you love. Like when you imagine that table, whether it's Thanksgiving or whatever, that ideal moment when the, the people that I care about most in the world are all gathered around, Jesus died for everybody in all those things. He died for the poly. He died for the many. And maybe you're like, duh, I know this. This is obvious. There's a significance to communion that we do this together. 
He says, when when you come together, take this and partake in this. Remember what I did for you together. So it's not just about me, and it's not just about you. It's about us. So so what I want us to do, if if you would, we'll start with the first couple rows on each side. If if you'll slip up and come down and grab a piece of the bread uh, and grab a a cup and and take it back to your seat, the worship team can go ahead and come down. after the first couple rows and the next couple can go, et cetera, like I said, there's a gluten-free option on the sides. Grab that and, and come back to your seats, and then we're going to worship a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit, and, and we'll move forward. Tell you what, guys, as you get back to your seat, would, would you just stand and, and just reflect on what Jesus has done? Reflect on the, the Passover for you, that, that the angel of death will pass over, that you don't have to pay the price for your sins. I, I think that personal element is, is obviously very powerful. Take a moment just to thank him for that on your own, just to, to remember it once again what he did. get back to your seat. We're going to enter in and sing this song that that speaks of God's amazing love, Christ's amazing love. I I ask you and invite you just to sing along with us. We'll partake in communion together in just a couple moments. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted.
partake together in just a moment, but we're going to do something, for me, a lot different. Maybe you've done this before. I don't know. I've never done this before. Um, but instead of just me leading in a prayer and then us partaking together, uh, I'm going to ask you guys to, to celebrate the communion aspect of this and, and, and come to the table of the Lord together as, as a row, as a section, as a family, whatever it might be. So if, if you're on a row by yourself, kind of sneak back to a row with some people. I want at least three people together, and, and I want somebody in that group just to take initiative and, and pray. And pray out over the group. Jesus, thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you gave up your life for us. And, and so take a moment just to, maybe you're not even got to introduce yourselves. You might have to, you may not know somebody's name. Take a minute and do that. And But pray out specifically over each of those names. Thank you that you died for Chris, that you died for Tracy, that you died down through the list. We're, we're going to take this together in a minute. But I'm going to ask you just to pray together first of all. Father God, we thank you that you sent Jesus, that you allowed your firstborn son to have his body broken in my place, in our place. God, we thank you that Jesus died for the poly, for the many, not just for one of us, not just for a few of us, God, but that you died because you so loved the world, Jesus. And so we thank you for your body. We thank you that it was broken for us. We thank you that, that we have the chance to remember as we take communion together. God, we ask that as we do that, that you would build community for us, God, that, that we would be closer because we came to the table of the Lord together. We worship you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take the bread. So if you didn't pray in your group, you thought you were off the hook, but we got a whole other element to do. So your group's coming back together, and somebody different's going to pray and thank Jesus for the blood. Thank God that he sent his son to shed his blood to, to cover our sins, that, that, that we are eternally washed and righteous and holy before him, not because of us, but because of him. Take a moment to pray and thank him for that.
amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that that he lived 33 years on this earth and did not sin so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. God, that the clean could stand in the place for the unclean, that he could be the sacrifice, that he could be the lamb that was slain, that we could be restored to relationship with you, God, that we could be given forgiveness and righteousness and holiness, God, that, that our sin was strong, but our Savior was stronger. God, we thank you for that. We ask as we partake of this juice and remember the blood of Jesus today that that we would sense again your cleansing power afresh and anew. God, if there's any of us struggling with sin in this place, God, we ask that that your blood would, would penetrate that, that you would break the power of sin in our life again. God, that you would wash us and make us clean and make us like you. We thank you for this blood in Jesus' name. Amen. You can partake of the cup. One of the things I love so much about communion is, is it's so representative of the body of Christ. In other words, I don't know your church background and where you've been, but, but if this morning there's probably countless churches here in DeSoto County taking communion, and they're taking it in a lot of different ways. I've seen this done in, in so many different uh, aspects, so many different elements used to, to represent the body and the blood and and I love the diversity in the body of Christ, but I love the unity in the body of Christ. That for 2,000 years, men and women who know Jesus have gathered together and have come to the table. And they've been brought to this table to remember Christ. So, so today, as we go back into worship in just a moment, we're, we're not just standing as individuals. We're not just standing and worshiping as city church. We're standing and worshiping as part of the global church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, which, which was broken and now has been restored and raised to life, and, and we are that body, and so we get the opportunity to worship the one who died for us, along with, with literally hundreds of millions of, of Christians of different na- nationalities and languages and colors and backgrounds and economies and, and so many different things, and just like Larry and Magic could come to the table and discover their similarities socially we can come to the table and be made one spiritually because at the table we are one and so let's worship him this morning as one let's lift him up let's sing of his amazing love together i encourage you if you know the words just close your eyes and lift your hands lift your voices and sing of christ's amazing love 